everyone. Thank you for joining me. This is Robin Sills. Welcome to Medically Speaking from Trinity Health of New England. And I'm live in studio tonight, which I haven't been for quite a while because as we had the a little bit of surge um, of COVID in the fall, Johnny and I both felt it was safer for me to do the show remotely. But as Johnny has had COVID... Johnny, and I have had my vaccinations. Uh, we feel incredibly safe, and the studio is very safe, and we are socially distanced and with the masking, and we have it all down pat now. So I'm live and in studio and really excited about our show tonight. I, I think it's so important that we speak um, of COVID, of course, but we need to talk about our vaccine and all the good things that the vaccine is going to do for us and we need to learn more about it. And I have the best expert on the line with me tonight. I have Dr. Syed Hussein, who is our senior vice president and chief clinical officer of Trinity Health of New England. Hi, Doc. Hi, Robin. Thank you for having me back. Oh, you know that you are one of my favorite guests, number one, because you're so incredibly informed. But number two, you are so great to have on the radio because there's never a lapse for conversation with us. Thank you very much for the kind words. Very excited to be here. Yeah, we, you know, tonight is really important. Um, we definitely need your expertise and guidance. You've been on the media so much lately, lately between news shows, radio, TV, newspaper. And so I appreciate your flexibility to join us tonight so that we can present this out regionally, but also to the greater Waterbury community who listens to us locally. So thank you again. Absolutely. Um, before we start, I think it's really important, and, and I wanted to mention this to you. I, I want to personally thank you as a employee of Trinity Health of New England. I don't think throughout this whole pandemic, and ex- certainly through the vaccine, there has been no lapse for us on communication. And I just feel that Trinity Health of New England has done an amazing job with keeping the staff informed and allowing us to be kind of like the messengers to the community with everything that you're sharing with us. And I've never felt more safe and informed in any aspect of my health career. Thank you, Robin. Thanks for sharing that. You know, we're incredibly blessed at Trinity Health of New England to have such an incredible team of colleagues, providers, you know, the 14,000 odd people that make up the Trinity Health of New England family. It's just they've done a tremendous job over the last uh, year. And it's brought us together. You know, they always say, you know, you know, definitely, you know, when there is something like this, it brings you together. You know, it brings us together as a family because we all want to take care of each other. And it's happening again with the vaccine. You know, it's happened with COVID and giving care to our patients and and our people in the community. But now with the vaccine, we all want to do the right thing. And tonight, is a part of that. So I know with your interviews, there's been a lot of conversations about the vaccine. And I know there are certain things that have been common questions that have been asked of you. But I think what I want to start with is, is talking about the vaccine itself and the development of the vaccine. What was actually behind it? Sure, absolutely. Let's let's start off uh, with with the uh, two vaccines that have received uh, FDA EUA, which means emergency use authorization since we're in the midst of a deadly pandemic. Um, uh, So basically, the two messenger RNA vaccines have been produced by Moderna and Pfizer. And I just want listeners to be aware that 
even though the uh, vaccines have both come out at record speed, at no point, at no point was safety ever compromised or any safety uh, protocols waived to, to get to, where, to the point where we're at. So how did we, how were we able to make vaccines at such short uh, notice and, and, and in a short compressed time frame? So a, a few points I'd like to mention. First one, we were uh, lucky that very early on in the pandemic, in fact, exactly same time last year, end of, end of January 2020, we found out what is known as genetic sequencing of what the virus actually looks like. And the genetic sequencing of the coronavirus was released by scientists in China. So that helped our, well, indeed, scientists around the world to be able to start working on a potential vaccine. Now, it's also important uh, to remember that this current virus has cousins that um, have caused problems for us in the past. So SARS 20 years ago, um, originating again in Asia, uh, led to an epidemic. And then MERS, the Middle Eastern Respiratory uh, um, Virus, also caused uh, issues. And during, so the, the scientists have been studying uh, this family of viruses. And then um, uh, the other point I'd like to mention is messenger RNA technology, which was used for these vaccines, has been, uh, has been studied for the last two decades or so by the NIH. So all of this put together um, led to trials that started very early on uh, during this pandemic. And instead of uh, dragging on a trial and looking at all the uh, potential side effects and how it really works, what the efficacy is, uh, for, which can take up to seven years, it was compressed so different phases of the trials were run in parallel. So that compressed time. The last thing that really helped us uh, when it comes to saving time was the ramping up in production of the vaccine, which was risky because if the results from the trial didn't really pan out the way they did, all those doses that were produced would have been wasted. But that's the risk we took. That's the risk that uh, we all had to take given how quickly this virus spread and the deadly uh, impact. Um, so all of that put together, and we have these two uh, very effective, very safe vaccines that were approved. Um, and the good news is there might be even more vaccines up in the horizon uh, with Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, to name a couple, that will also be um, applying for FDA emergency use authorization in the coming weeks. And I definitely want to, want to speak to those. And I do also want to talk a little bit about the Pfizer and Moderna because people are like, okay, which one is better? You know, I get that question all the time. Which one should I be asking for? So maybe we could also speak to that. Absolutely. So they're equally good is what I tell folks. Their side effect profile is very similar. They're, the effectiveness of preventing severe clinical disease from COVID-19 is is almost the same. Uh, one is 94.5 and the other is 95% effective. Now, keep in mind the, um, the flu vaccine that everybody gets annually, in its best year, it's about mm, around 60% effective. In cases in years that we've experienced in the past, it's gone down as low as in the teens in terms of effectiveness. So this, this, these two vaccines are almost as close to the measles vaccine in terms of effectiveness. In terms of safety, which is extremely important, uh, side effects were monitored for up to eight weeks 
in uh, the in both trials, and the data was looked at very closely by the FDA before approval was granted. So none of none of the uh, trial um, participants had any serious safety events. There were no serious uh, um, uh, safety issues that were uh, raised, um, and there were side effects. But these are mild to moderate side effects that usually resolve in 24 to 48 hours. We we had a, a call last night that we did with a lot of our board members throughout the region, and it was really interesting. You know, one of the things you said, too, about the side effects, and I started laughing because I did not have any side effects after my second vaccine. And one of our physicians, Dr. Olette, said to me, that's because you're old. <laughs> I said, oh, thanks, Doc. So he, I would never say something like that, Robert. Oh, Dr. Olette takes liberty. But, you know, he said that to me, and I was laughing, but it's true. I know myself, Dr. Schneider, a lot of people I know that are in my age group. We did not have side effects. But, you know, can we speak to that, what you, what you spoke to last night about what you're seeing with that population? Sure. So we saw this in the studies, both Pfizer and Moderna, that in an older age group, 60 and above, side effect profile was quite blunted. Mm. So folks didn't really experience side effects. That's not necessarily a bad thing. But when you do experience side effects, that's not a bad thing either because right. it just tells you that the body is doing its job and the immune system is getting revved up, just like how you start an engine. So, uh, again, side effects were more pronounced after the second dose. So that's important for folks to remember because since this is a voluntary vaccine you, and if you're off from work on the weekends, you may want to schedule your second dose appointment on a Friday so you can rest up on a Saturday or Sunday. And the side effect profile, just quickly, if I could mention, yes. includes fatigue. It could be um, arm soreness or redness or a little bit of swelling at the site of the injection. Um, it could be body aches, a mild temperature, chills, um, uh, joint aches, but all of these resolve in within 24 to 48 hours, and they're mild to moderate in intensity. So if you do experience them, take Tylenol, um, uh, and, you know, um, if, if they persist, then, then speak to a doctor. But in most, the majority of cases, they will resolve. And, you know, one of the myths and that we've heard, of course, is that you're injected with the live vaccine, which we know is not true. So maybe we could also speak to that because it's so much different than the flu vaccine. Absolutely. There's a myth out there that uh, if I get if I take the vaccine, I might end up with COVID-19. No, these side effects are not representative of what COVID-19 disease looks like. This is not a live virus. This is a messenger RNA virus, uh, sorry, vaccine, which basically means it's it's essentially we're injecting a vaccine which has a little recipe. The recipe tells the vaccine that once you're inside the body, you're going to make spike protein. The cells are going to make spike protein. That spike protein resembles the spike protein seen on COVID-19, on the surface of the coronavirus. And then the body thinks, hey, wait a minute, that spike protein is not from the body. Then there's an immune immune response, and that's where antibodies get produced. Three weeks or four weeks later, depending on which vaccine you're getting, you get a second dose. Then the immune system gets revved up even more, and that may lead to side effects. The side effects that I just described are, again, very different from COVID-19. COVID-19 includes you may lose the ability to taste, uh, to smell. Uh, you'll, you may have cough, shortness of breath. All of these things are not seen uh, with the post-vaccination side effects. 
So, you know, we talked about the messenger RNA and what it is and what it does. And one of the other myths out there is how it would could potentially affect your DNA. And Dr. Edie gave a great explanation last night to the board. I wonder if you could re- replicate that explanation, because I think it was perfect about how it doesn't work in reverse. Absolutely. So the messenger RNA goes into the cell. Uh, it does not enter the nucleus where you have the DNA. The RNA instructs the cell to produce this spike protein. The spike protein gets produced. The messenger RNA gets rapidly dissolved and removed from the body. This is one reason why it took so long for messenger RNA technology to be developed into a vaccine and deployed as a vaccine, because the messenger RNA is very fragile. The body destroys it very quickly. So once the job has been done, there is no messenger RNA left. So one thing also I want to point out, because some people have told me, Doc, I'm going to wait. I'm going to see what the long-term side effects from this vaccine are. And there are no long-term side effects. Usually with vaccines, you see long-term side effects in six to eight weeks after vaccine administration. So again, going back to what I said earlier, the FDA asked Moderna and Pfizer and anyone else that's going to apply for an EUA, show us eight weeks of data after your second dose. And that's what they looked at. There were no uh, serious uh, safety concerns. And, you know, I never felt more safe getting anything. Uh, you know, I, I have to tell you, and I think a lot of us healthcare workers, you know, we were we felt very honored to be on the front line and being able to do this so that we could help our patients and we can be kind of the role models for everyone out there that this is safe. Absolutely. And one other thing I'm going to share with with your listeners, which is very encouraging and we're very excited about, it's preliminary data, but nonetheless. So as you know, we've been vaccinating, starting with our uh, healthcare workers uh, as part of phase 1A, both in Massachusetts and in Connecticut. We now, we're very proud that up to 65% of our colleagues out of the 11,000 colleagues that I described, have now been vaccinated. And we've started seeing a tremendous drop in the number of Mm -hmm. positive cases because of which our colleagues were out, either because they were exposed or they tested positive for COVID-19, which is remarkable. There's no other explanation, nothing else that we've implemented. You know, everyone's been told and we've been reiterating again and again about public health measures and sticking to masking, distancing, avoiding gatherings. The only thing that has changed, Robin, over the last several weeks is vaccination. So that it's gives so us important. tremendous hope. It, absolutely. I, I, I work in the hospital every day and I'm in and out of our practices. And I can tell you, we are so, so following those guidelines. Everybody masks. Everybody is socially distanced. I mean, they work so hard to keep everybody safe. And we have to set the example because we're living it every day. And now that we've gotten the vaccine and we're seeing those numbers drop, it's just a testament to all the hard work. Absolutely. Now, you know, there's a lot of other myths out there, and, and I want to make sure that we try to try to put stuff at ease because I don't know who puts these out there and how they get out there. But as I look at some of them, I'm like, are you kidding me? But whatever, you know, it gets out there. And so we need to make sure we address them. But one that I think probably makes people leery are people that have an autoimmune disease. And would they not be able to get the vaccine? 
So let, let's look at both studies from both. Let's look at the data. It's, I always tell folks, look at the data. The data is out there. Uh, it's, it's for the public to review. It's posted on FDA.gov, both uh, data from both Moderna and Pfizer. Yeah. So, yes, there were individuals that, were, uh, that have autoimmune conditions that were included in both studies. Um, particularly looking at those individuals, um, you know, there's no uh, uh, safety or efficacy data uh, related to some conditions and that fall under autoimmune diseases. But also one thing to, important thing to remember is these individuals are at higher risk for coming down with severe COVID-19 disease if they get infected. So it's always important to look at the risk-benefit ratio. Um, they Because they ha- may have an autoimmune disease which requires immunosuppressive medication uh, or medication that can tamp down your immune system response, um, they may not have the best ability to mount a response to the vaccine. But when it comes to looking at the entire picture, the CDC recommends when it's your turn to get vaccinated. And if you have an autoimmune disease, if you are on an immunosuppressive uh, medication, then you may choose to get vaccinated. And, you know, so I think that hearing that and being able to look at that data helps them to be able to make a more informed decision. And it's it makes more sense to get it than to not. Absolutely. The other the other population that has always has been concerned with it is that younger population that are in, you know, are, are in the early years and thinking about having children. What do you say to those people out there that are afraid to get it because they think that it will make them sterile? Yes, this is another big myth that's gone around, unfortunately, and it has taken a life of its own. So mm-hmm. let's let's look at the data. Let's look at the facts. So there, in the Pfizer trial, there were up to there were women of childbearing age that were included in the trial. Yes, it is true that pregnant and breastfeeding women were not included in the in either study because this is standard protocol. They are being studied on now since we have preliminary safety and efficacy data from the larger trials. So uh, um, coming back to the Pfizer trial, there were 23 women who did become pregnant during the course of the trial. Only one individual lost their baby, and that uh, female happened to be in the placebo arm, not the vaccine arm. Similarly, in the Moderna study, uh, when you looked at how they um, first experimented uh, with, um, with on animals, uh, namely uh, rats, that included gestational rats. None of those rats, when they delivered, had any developmental abnormalities in their um, offspring. So it's important to look at what we can learn from both uh, Moderna and Pfizer, the technology that's involved. It's not a live virus. There's nothing to suggest in this technology that it will cause infertility. The myth that has been perpetuated, um, unfortunately, especially on social media, has to do with um, how the spike protein or parts of the, uh, the uh, vaccine for the mRNA resemble a protein found on the placenta. And the the, uh, misconception is that the body's immune system will start attacking that. That is not what happened. Uh, There is no scientific truth to that myth. Um, And like I said, the data is out there. uh, But if you happen to be of childbearing age, if you are pregnant or breastfeeding, uh, national organizations, along with the CDC, recommend that if it's your turn to get vaccinated, 
you may choose to do so. And I'm so concerned about that population, too, because that is definitely the population that we are seeing that our older population needs wants to be with, right? So they are sometimes the population that will have the virus and not even know they're spreading it. Absolutely. And one other thing, um, especially related to pregnant women, is we have to, again, look at the data. So what do we know based on this pandemic? We know, for instance, pregnant women who contract COVID-19 disease and come down with severe COVID-19 disease are five times more likely to end up in the ICU or on a ventilator. They're also more likely to have preterm birth. And more ominously, they're also more likely to end up dying compared to non-pregnant females in the same age group. So basically it means, indicates to us that this is a higher risk population, just like how uh, those folks with autoimmune diseases or uh, on immunosuppressive medications, immunocompromised conditions are also higher risk for severe COVID-19 disease. I've had um, a few questions from um, individuals that have recently undergone chemotherapy, and they wanted to know, is there a safer time for them after their chemotherapy to get the first vaccine? Do they need to wait a period of time? There's no such recommendation from the CDC on medication timing, including chemotherapy and administration of the vaccine. The only thing I would uh, advise is there needs to be a two-week period before you get the COVID-19 vaccine and any other vaccine that you may have received, whether it's for shingles, it's for the flu. There needs to be a two-week period so that uh, theoretically there's no overlap in terms of the immune system of the body responding to the vaccine. So that's the concern, theoretical concern. So that's the only advice I would be able to give. Well, that makes sense because if the body's responding to the flu vaccine, it needs to do its job there. And once you're beyond that, then you can get the COVID vaccine and that would give the immune the ability to recognize it. That's right. And, and do what it needs to do. That makes a lot of sense. How about children, Doc? Where are we? And I've heard some studies are already being done now. And where are we with that? And where do you see it going? Yes, so we expect to have results from both Pfizer and Moderna and others that are looking at uh, this uh, particular age group, the pediatric age group, um, uh, by end of spring, early summer. So we expect the vaccine to be approved for this uh, population by summertime. But yes, as per standard protocol, it is correct that uh, children were not included in the initial Uh, trials um, for both Moderna and Pfizer. And right now the recommendation is 16 and above for Pfizer and 18 and above in terms of age for Moderna. And you know, that seems to be the population under that in, in the grammar school age, that seems to be where, you know, the teachers are more afraid to do live in-person learning with the kids. And we want to get them back to school. We want everybody back to school. So it would be such a huge hurdle to climb. Absolutely. And that's an important, it's an important issue. Um, And, you know, that's why it's critical for everybody to remember that as we go through these phases of vaccination and uh, groups getting vaccinated over the next several months, it's important to uh, adhere to public health measures, including masking, distancing, um, and uh, practicing hand hygiene, whether it's in the classroom or outside.
You know, when someone gets the vaccine, I've heard this, and, and of course I know it clinically because I've, I've learned it through the education you've, everyone has provided us, but we hear that once you have both the vaccines, you could still carry the COVID vaccine in your mucosal. So can we speak to that and why it's so important for people to mask until we have that herd immunity that we'll address? Sure. So what we know based on the studies is that both vaccines from Moderna and Pfizer are able to uh, prevent severe clinical disease. They do a great job in, 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 in from that aspect, that angle. What we don't have data on yet, and it's being looked at, but uh, we don't know whether how effective they are in preventing asymptomatic infection or transmission of the virus when the individual wouldn't really feel it because clinically they'll be uh, they won't exhibit any symptoms, but they'll be able to transmit the uh, virus. So that's the part we don't know yet. And until we get more data um, from the uh, trials, uh, it is critically important that folks continue to mask distance and practice public health measures, even if you've been vaccinated, because we don't want to pass on or transmit the virus to the more vulnerable in society. You know, we mentioned the the herd immunity, and that's a new, a new. I call it seems to be the the new buzzword, very much like it was unprecedented times. We have all these new buzzwords that have come out of COVID, but the herd immunity, it's not something the general population would understand. What does it mean, and where do the numbers need to be to get there? So, herd immunity is when enough people have protection, either from previous infection or vaccination, and we know from previous infection wouldn't isn't really an option for us because it would lead to so many tragic deaths that can be avoided. So that's why it's emphasis on vaccination. So basically um, enough people have protection through vaccination. So it's unlikely the virus can spread uh, and cause disease in, in the, in the country and exact percentage to achieve herd immunity is really not known, but thought to be more than 80%, 80 to 90%. Um, and also herd immunity um, depends on the disease, so it differs from disease to disease. So we really don't have an exact number yet, but what we do know is um, we need to get a lot more people vaccinated in this country, Um, and I'm confident we will be able to do that, Um, but everybody has to just stay patient and, and raise your hand and get vaccinated when it's your turn. Definitely. I mean, we're getting the information out there. I know we talked a lot about the vaccine last night and how Trinity Health of New England has worked with our local leadership in communities to be able to spread the information and also set up clinics where we have access. Let can we? It's been really hard for the population we're dealing with now, which is the 75 and older, to figure out how to get it and how to access it. So maybe a little conversation about what that means, and how we can get the information out to them. Absolutely. So a number of things that Trinity Health of New England is doing. One, the first one is getting the message out and being there for the community the communities that we serve so that they can ask us questions, just like how we're having this discussion, Robin. So we host uh, weekly webinars that are open to the public. Please go to trinityhealthofne.org. If you're interested in signing up, it's free. It's a one-hour webinar. We do a presentation for a half hour, and then we open it up to the public for any questions. Any questions related to the vaccine, how you sign up, all of those can be um, asked, and we will answer them. And so, and coming to how you can get vaccinated, there are a number of ways. 
the best way is to go to trinityhealthofany.org for you to sign up. You can sign up through VAMS. That's the tool that Trinity Health of New England is using in partnership with the CDC and the Department of Public Health. It stands for Vaccine Administration Management System. And it will ask you a few questions, and then you'll get an email invite uh, asking you to register and schedule an appointment at one of Trinity's vaccine clinics. We have uh, five vaccine clinics across Connecticut and and, um, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, We are also working on um, enhancing vaccine access to 75 and above who may not have an email address or may not be tech savvy so that you can just lift up the phone, uh, dial 211, that's the uh, Department of Public Health uh, number, and you'll be able to speak to someone and get your appointment scheduled at a Trinity vaccine clinic. So more to come on that, but the team is working to ensure that we have more than uh, one, two, or three avenues for individuals when it's their turn to to sign up. The other thing I also want to remind is please go to trinityhealthofany.org or ct.gov slash COVID vaccine to review. You could do it weekly. Um, when it's your turn uh, to get vaccinated, because that's where um, the information will be uh, posted. Instead of calling your doctor's office or you know other avenues, just go to these websites so that you can get the most updated information. And again, when it's your turn, you'll know um, how to apply if you go to trendyhealthofany.org uh, and schedule uh, an appointment. It's incredibly easy. And working with a senior population that I live with, my my mom, who's 82, my in-laws, who are 91 and 89, of course, they don't have emails. So we created emails for them. And, you know, we did go into the site and I created their um, created them on VAMS, um, which is incredibly easy. You get the invitation then to to now schedule your appointment. And it was very easy to be able to schedule them. And we're in the greater Waterbury area. So, of course, I chose St. Mary's. And then we also opened up another location in the Prospect um, location at 166 Waterbury Road. And it's it's been incredibly easy. Um, I know it sounds like it's scary and it's hard, but if you have a family member to help you, it's really good to be able to have that that person supporting you and going into the system. So it does work and it's very easy. It's really accessible. Absolutely, Robin. The um, off-sites, of course, have been a challenge. And I think, Doc, I would love to give a shout out to our teams at all of our hospitals for how hard they've worked to put these clinics together because it's definitely not a small feat. It's not. It's taken a village. And, you know, these are colleagues who have raised their hand who are either as vaccinators or registration uh, um, folks, but they all have day jobs and they're still helping out at the vaccine clinic. So it's been very inspirational. A big shout out to our academic partners, Quinnipiac University. Um, their medical students have raised their hands and in and, and droves have, have said, you know, we will uh, volunteer and help out. And our independent physician practices and, and their leaders, um, retired docs and nurses, there's been a tremendous response from the community in terms of uh, assisting and helping out at our vaccine clinics. And honestly, we are ready at Trinity Health of New England to double the number of vaccine clinics to go into the uh, communities um, and be more and provide even more access, especially our vulnerable communities that may not have always 
uh, ready, readily available, easy, easy access to healthcare. Uh, but in order to do that, we need to ensure that we have consistent supply of vaccine. And we continue to work very closely with the Department of Public Health. We are very encouraged by the new administration's uh, focus on vaccine uh, ramp up and manufacturing ability. And, and we await um, additional doses. And um, like I've said, we're ready to ramp up our uh, operations. I'm really excited to hear that. And I think it's it's patience now at this point, right? It's patience. And we will work with our community to make sure they know when we know and schedule them appropriately. And we don't sometimes know till that week, right, Doc, right now? That's right. Exactly. So you may unfortunately get cancellations, but it's, it's only because uh, we find out that, you know, we just we're just getting X number of doses for the following week. But I'm confident things will continue to evolve and change for the better. And healthcare systems will get more notice, as promised by the administration, of up to three weeks, which will help us plan because we, nobody wants to get uh, a cancellation notice. Nobody wants to go through the hassle of rescheduling an appointment. I've been a patient. I know how it feels. So we empathize, but please be patient. We appreciate your patience as we go through this together. And I am confident that everybody who wants to get vaccinated will get vaccinated in this country. And they should get vaccinated. That's right. We want to all end this uh, pandemic nightmare and, and get back to life as, as we knew it pre, pre-pandemic. We actually have here next week in um, one of our locations here in Waterbury, we have a patient that's 101 and a patient that's 105 coming for their vaccines. That's tremendous. It's tremendous. It is absolutely tremendous. We're very excited. They lived through the Spanish flu and they're coming in for their vaccines. Amazing. Wow, so so inspirational. It is inspirational. We're hoping that they let us do a little story on them, but we're we're very excited to see that that population. Um, and as a matter of fact, I happen to know one of the women. I grew up in the neighborhood where she's from, and God bless her. She's still living in the same house, and her family's bringing her, and they're all coming. And and just it's a testament to what. Um, what they believe in and if they could set an example for everyone else out there because they've already lived through a pandemic that's right robin it actually reminds me earlier on in the pandemic this was probably around april of last year when we found out that we had a 94 year old patient who was using virtual care at trinity <laughs> health of new england for her uh, appointments so it's it's very inspirational it's 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 great news thanks for sharing unlike the other the original um outbreak of of covid we're doing something different now. We are actually maintaining our care for our patients and not um, closing down surgeries. And, and we have been able to learn from the, the spring how to be able to care for our patients and do those procedures where before we kind of step back from them. We probably should speak to that, Doc, and talk about the safety in play. Absolutely. We're very proud that we were able to maintain both COVID and non-COVID services. It's critically important we're there for the communities that we serve. What we learned from the first surge is based based on data from the Northeast that experienced the brunt of the surge in uh, March, April, and May, is that there were individuals who... Um, didn't really have good outcomes. And we've seen mortality rates for non-COVID conditions higher than 
previous years. And so it's important that we continue these services. It took a toll on some of our colleagues because, you know, it's a stressful environment. But we're getting through this, and we are grateful to see the downward trend uh, in terms of COVID cases now across the region, across Connecticut and Massachusetts, which is great. But it is important that the services are provided in a safe environment, which which they were. We're grateful for the support that we've received from Trinity Health. We have a robust supply of personal protective equipment, over 120 days on hand of important masks, uh, N95 um, gloves and gowns, and all the important equipment that is necessary for our colleagues to provide care. We've expanded our testing capabilities. We test individuals who are coming in for inpatient surgeries requiring an overnight stay, for instance. So a lot of different things have uh, taken place. We have dedicated uh, care areas for COVID patients. We don't mix them with non-COVID care areas. So the team has done a tremendous job to ensure that we're able to provide services and be there for the community and live our mission. Yeah, I I definitely sense that with the patients. They're not canceling. They want to come in. They want to be seen. They don't want to push things off. And it it's excellent. It's, it's excellent to be able to maintain that level of care because we don't want people canceling their appointments and the needed procedures they need to have done. Absolutely. And that's what I would expect. Any, you know, if, if this was my healthcare system and I, and which is it, which it is. <laughs> and if I had a loved one coming in who required medical attention, I would expect them to see this and 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 um, address the the issue at on hand and not delay any care. Absolutely. There was a few things that we we kind of touched on, and, and you mentioned there's a couple of new vaccines that are on the horizon. And I know there's been a lot in the media about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and being a one dose. As a healthcare professional, I see that as a win for a population that we have a hard time getting to. And some of our medically underserved, and we may not get them back the second time. I think that this is a huge win, and that's the Johnson and Johnson one. Where are we with that one, Doc? And, and what do you think about it? Absolutely. So I share your excitement, Robin, and we've discussed this internally uh, within the team. We're excited. I'm eagerly awaiting the results of the trial. That's going to be the important um, angle that we would look at. So we are expecting Johnson & Johnson to release their vaccine trial data uh, next week or so, um, following which, depending on the results, they will likely apply for FDA emergency use authorization. So we will have our third vaccine in the arsenal, which would include, uh, which would enhance both uh, inventory, the number of vaccines uh, available for the population, but also, to your point, also enhance um, the ability for us to vaccinate people in vulnerable communities, which we know have been impacted to a much greater extent than anyone else. Our communities of color, black and brown communities that um, are, you know, have taken uh, a large uh, hit during this pandemic, unfortunately, um, and, you know, don't always have ready access to health care. So just having one dose will be very beneficial. And hopefully being able to expand right into those neighborhoods where we can get it to them. Because yes, they Trinity don't Health have- of New England. Yes, Trinity Health of New England has done this 
uh, when it comes to COVID testing, for instance, right. uh, partnering with community organizations such as Charter Oak to provide testing in those vulnerable communities and areas. So we are ready to partner again with community organizations and the Department of Public Health to be able to uh, provide those uh, vaccinations uh, in those communities. One thing that I'm so proud of is, you know, in Waterbury, with us working with the city of Waterbury and moving our location, which I'll talk about at the end when when we're done, just to make sure people know how to get there, but moving it from the hospital to WAMS, which is our Waterbury Arts Magnet School. The one thing about WAMS is it's in downtown Waterbury, and you can walk to it from a lot of different locations in Waterbury. Being an inner city hospital, you know, I've lived in this area my whole life, and we have people walking to our ER all the time. And having it in WAMS provides the the general population to be able to walk to or to take a bus to it. There's a bus stop right across the street. And that's so important to have that accessibility. Absolutely. And we're very proud of St. Mary's um, uh, partnering with the city Uh, in this important endeavor. Yeah, it's worked out really well. I went there today to do a quick walkthrough because I have to bring my mom there Friday morning in the wheelchair. So I want to be able to navigate where I was going. And I was so impressed at moving in one, you know, moving everything in one day. But the flow and the staffing that was there, both from the city and the hospital working together as a team. And I know there's similar things happening in Hartford, correct? Absolutely. One of the things I I wanted to make sure I address, because it's a question I have, what do we think about where we're going to be a year from now? And when will we know if we need to do a booster from the, for this vaccine? So, you know, based on w- what's going on right now, it's hard to say, Robin. I think, you know, I'm optimistic. I'm an optimist by nature. And I do feel we'll be in a much better place. Uh, A lot depends on the virus, to be honest with you. Mm. So if this virus continues to mutate, it's, you know, not a big concern because we have the ability now to to be able to tweak vaccines on on a very short notice, actually within a few weeks, to counter the most prevalent strain. So that's Mm. great news. But um, it will depend to a large extent if it mutates to the degree where the current vaccine is not very effective then, like I said, we will be able to tweak the vaccine and give a booster dose. And both Pfizer and Moderna have indicated publicly that they've already started looking at that angle based on some variants that are of concern. But I don't want people to, to start getting worried about that. The, the important thing, there are two important things that folks need to remember. One, when it's your turn to get vaccinated, please do so. And in the meantime, please stick to public health measures because that's the biggest weapon we have to prevent this variant from running amok in our country. And we don't want to do that. Remember, getting vaccinated prevents this virus from mutating. And if we prevent... If we prevent the mutations, right. we can prevent this pandemic and, and end this pandemic. Another thing I didn't ask you, and, you know, I think of things as we're talking. That's how I am with you. <laughs> One I didn't ask you were people that have already had COVID. Do they need to get vaccinated? Yes, absolutely. They need to. Because why? We've seen cases of reinfection. We don't know how long natural immunity really lasts. It varies from individual to individual. And we've also seen cases where people have come down with more severe COVID-19 disease the second time around. And in order to get to herd immunity, everybody needs to be vaccinated. So when it's your turn, even if you've been, um, uh, if you've come down with uh, uh, COVID-19 infection and you're out of the 14-day period, 10 to 14-day 
uh, isolation period and your symptoms have started resolving, you need to get vaccinated. That is the population, though, we are seeing a little bit of a reaction to, as you mentioned earlier, because they do have some of the antibodies. Right. Right, the second with the second shot, they're starting to feel that they 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 get some of the the reaction, and those people that maybe didn't know they had COVID too, right, Doc? It could be Robin, but again, we know that up to sixty percent of people in both studies, yeah, did experience side effects, mm-hmm. especially after the second dose. So I wouldn't read too much into that. I wouldn't get too too worried about that. Too hooked on um, it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it, these these side effects will resolve. Uh, by themselves within 24 to 48 hours they're mild to moderate and you know some people actually experience these with other uh, vaccines and in fact in fact if you compare COVID-19 vaccine side effects to the flu or the the vaccine for shingles it falls in the middle Hmm. so the side effect profile is a little bit more than the flu but less than the vaccine for shingles. You know, you talked a little bit about the variants, and you you are so well-read, Doc, on everything going on across the country. Where do we stand in the United States? I mean, I think, maybe it's just because I'm so proud, but I really do believe Connecticut has done an incredible job with with what we've done to get people vaccinated, and, and our governor has done a really great job. But what do you see across the country? What Where do we stand in the United States and our rollout for the vaccine versus what we're seeing in other parts of the country? So we've done a tremendous job. And again, I echo your um, sentiment um, related to Connecticut DPH, Department of Public Health, on the governor's office for doing a tremendous job, and Connecticut residents as well. For uh, the uh, ability to stick to public health measures, we've kept our infection rate really, really low throughout the summer. We can do it again. We're on a downward trend, a good trajectory, and we need to, we need to stick to those measures. Um, we've also, Connecticut is also among the top five states in the country in terms of number of people vaccinated as well as using up our inventory of vaccines so it's not just sitting around. And healthcare systems, including Trinity Health of New England, have taken a major leading part in ensuring that vaccine gets used up very quickly and gets into the arms. That's where it needs to be. So, um, again, we're ready to ramp things up even more, but we're really proud of the work that so far has happened. It is. It's, it's, it's funny. You know, I've been to both our locations today, and there, everyone, you know, that is involved are telling me, Robin, it's such a science because we have to make sure that we're using every bit that's in that vial and it's accounted for in each and every person. And if there's the tiniest bit left... And they call someone in, like someone may have canceled. They call someone in last minute that was on the schedule for tomorrow to get them in. They want to make sure they're using every bit of that vaccine. Absolutely. And we're very proud that we've so far vaccinated um, over 25,000. We've used up 25,000 doses. That includes first and second doses. But uh, no, we haven't wasted a single dose. No. And the reason great. why is because we have a ready list. The teams have a ready list of colleagues healthcare providers who, who fall under phase 1A, who at the end of the day, if we have a few doses remaining, can be tapped into and say, okay, you know, come down, we have a few doses. Or what some teams have done at, our, at some of our vaccine clinics that are associated with the hospital have actually gone into those units, care areas where colleagues are actively working and said, hey, did you get the vaccine? Would you like it? Yes. 
and they've <laughs> administered vaccines. So the basic thing here is to not waste a single dose. You know, what? when I got my second dose and I was they, they have you wait that period of time just to, to make sure you don't have a reaction. And I was sitting across from someone from um, the facilities team and he was so proud to get that vaccine. He goes, I don't know, I'm not dealing with patients. And I looked at him and I said, you are on our floors and in our facilities doing everything you need to do to support us. And it, they're so proud to be part of that first wave that went through. And it's everyone in the hospital to help it keep it going to manage patient care. Absolutely, it takes a village, Robin, as you know. It definitely takes a village. The, the, the last thing I want to touch on, Doc, is we're seeing a lot in the media with the variants. They're talking about double masking. Where do you stand with that? And do you think that's a forever thing? So, you know, it's not unusual for viruses to mutate. We will get variants. Uh, like I said, you know, there's no reason to panic. It's important we all stick to public health measures. CDC.gov should be the uh, should be your go-to website or trinityhealthofany.org for latest developments and also, you know, the best way to mask, distance, avoid gatherings, uh, taking precautions. Please use these resources so that you don't get misled. Um, and when it's your turn to be vaccinated, please, please roll up your sleeve and, and get the shot. Doc, I can't thank you enough for joining us tonight. You are incredible, as always, in giving our audience and our community the best information possible. And um, I'm going to ask that I can reserve the right to bring you back again. Thank you. Honored to be with you. Thank, thank you, Doc. Thank you so much. Thank you. So I want to thank that was Dr. Sayed Hussein, who um, he has been absolutely instrumental in helping us to get through this pandemic as a health community. He is our senior vice president and chief clinical officer of Trinity Health of New England. He is mostly in our up in Hartford where his office is, but he joined. He is available to me with every text, every phone call, our local media. He is so involved in each and every one of our ministries and. And I can't speak more highly for someone that I've worked for. I, I just, I can't tell you. His leadership has been immense, along with Dr. Reginald Edie, our, our president um, and, and chief executive officer, Trinity Health of New England. So before I go tonight... I promised our vaccination team that I was going to update everyone on the new location. So we were at St. Mary's Hospital at our Union Street ramp garage across from um, Sacred Heart High School. So now since we've partnered with the city, as you've heard me mention, we have moved over to the Waterbury Arts Magnet School. So you will get, if you've already registered on VAMS, you will get an email to your email um, that will tell you of the new location change. It hasn't changed your time. It hasn't changed the day of your appointment. My mother got one last night. I'm bringing her on Friday. Um, she was scheduled at St. Mary's, but now we're moving her over to Waterbury Arts Magnet along with everyone else. You do not enter Waterbury Arts Magnet School from the East Main Street side. You're going to enter through 33 Scoville Street, not 133, 33 Scoville Street, which 
is the ramp garage behind the palace and the Waterbury Arts Magnet School. I walked it today so that I could share it with you tonight so you could feel safe. It has a ton of handicapped parking. There's also a drop-off there. So if you need to drop off a family member, you can go into the ramp garage, drop them right off. They walk through the little courtyard and the door is right there. As soon as they go through the door, there's a big sign with a banner and the team from Waterbury, um, from the city of Waterbury, as long, along with St. Mary's Hospital, are there to register you. They go through your information with you, and then you take the elevator downstairs where our team will greet you and bring you through the process where you get your vaccine. You have to stay for about 15 minutes after the vaccine, and that's just a precautionary measure to watch you. Um, and then you make your appointment for your second vaccine before you leave. I was, I, I have to be honest with you, I was nervous about bringing my mom there in a wheelchair, but once I walked it today, it is incredibly safe. It is beautiful. They've done an incredible job, both the city of Waterbury and St. Mary's Hospital. And the other good thing is if it snows, it doesn't matter because the city takes care of plowing it all for us and you don't have to be outside in the cold. You're in a nice warm building. So it is a great place to get your vaccine. We do have a second location in our prospect office. If you have what we call a MyCare account and are a patient of Trinity Health of New England, you can go on trinityhealthofne.org, click on the patient portal, and you would actually create a MyCare account. Um, you can actually schedule an appointment through there also. So, But also, remember what Dr. Um, Hussein said, based on availability, those appointments do change. So I would highly encourage you to go through VAMS, um, go through trinityhealthofnotengland.org, click on COVID vaccine, click on Connecticut. You can create an account in the DPH website and then schedule your appointment. Um, the day before your appointment, you will get a health questionnaire that you need to fill out. So please check email. If you cannot do that, there is the 311 number that you can call and someone can assist you with scheduling your appointment. I've had both my vaccines. I am very blessed that I work for a healthcare organization. And being a nurse, I was able to be on the first responder. And I am. I feel incredibly blessed. And I did absolutely fine. And I highly, highly recommend that you get this done. It is one of the most important things you can do for yourself, for your family, and for your community. Please, if you're concerned at all, join one of the webinars. Um, they do them every Monday evening. Go on our website, trinityhealthofne.org. Click on the coronavirus, the COVID, um, learn more about COVID-19 um, section that we have, and you can get connected to our webinar dates and times. They're free. Um, and hopefully you share this information with your loved ones, with your community. And as always, if you have questions and you want to reach out to me, you can send me an email, Robin dot sills at trinityhealthofne.org that's robin.sills at trinityhealthofne.org until our next time i hope that you stay well and safe and that you if you are in the eligible group you schedule that vaccine for yourself or your loved one have a great night mm-hmm.